1: Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, these are your hosts of Tactical Tuesday, Coach Brad and John. John, how you doing, sir? Doing pretty good. How are you? I can't complain. I can't complain. What, what do you have baked up for us this week on Tactical Tuesday?
2: Uh, we have a we have a topic that I don't even think needs to be filled on the website, but brand new topic. Um, it's going to be we're going to be going over a couple hands where I decided to flat the button pre-flop. Um, that's a pretty rare action for me, just flatting from anywhere. That's not the big blind. Um, but I think if I was going to start throwing in more flats pre, I'd probably start on the button. Um, and so, yeah, just brought in two hands to see uh, what you think about my button flats and um, mostly like kind of just to go over the logic behind when, and when you shouldn't be flatting in position.
1: Sure. Makes sense. Um, all right. So let's, Start out by looking at all the actions. Uh, looks like a a fish opens to 2.5 bigs from under the gun. They start with about 61 big blinds, and you opt to flat instead of 3-betting the fish on the button with Jack 10 of hearts. You have like 110 bigs and have both blinds covered. Uh, So here's the place to start. Uh, what was your thought process behind flatting the button versus the UTG open?
2: So um, I think there are two things that I was thinking about um, that led me to flat here. The first one is, uh, it's probably harder to notice, but the big blind is also, not not really a fish, but definitely a weaker player. Um, they're starting with 94 big blinds instead of 100. Um, I think that might be a small indicator, but also uh, we can't see the HUD stats now, but they they were definitely on the, like more on the like, 18, 10, 3% 3-bet side. Sure. Um, so I think flatting here allows uh, allows me to play more pots with the big blind. Um, I think the secondary thing I was thinking about was that um, one of the things that I want to avoid with a hand that plays really well post-flop, like jack-ten-of-hearts, is getting 4-bet by the fish and being forced to fold. Um, I think one of the things that I assume you'll 100% agree on is that like fish just make way bigger mistakes post-flop just in terms of big blinds than they do so just getting to those nodes where we kind of just allow them to make really big mistakes on the river or, or on later streets where the pot is bigger is, um, I think, is another benefit of, of flatting here. It's just making um, sure you don't get forced to
1: fold. They tend to make bigger mistakes because the pots are much bigger by the river. I think like they do make quite significant mistakes pre-flop. Uh, but I would say a couple of data points um, that should be factored in here are... You know, the small blind squeeze percentage or mm-hmm. the aggressiveness of the blinds i don't think it's actually like the end of the world to get 3 bet with your hand since 4 bet oh by the blinds yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah getting 3 bet by the blinds i also think that um villains have less incentive to open the action against an undergun raise by a fish uh just because they tend to call 3 bets quite often they can 4 bet jam <laughs> And once they three bet and, the, you know, the fish four bets, they're probably forced to just call it off, uh, get it in with 60 bigs against the under the gun player. So I think due to lack of incentive for the blinds to three bet super wide um, and then also letting the big blind join the party, I think your logic, you know, it adds up. I, I would say that like this player type probably not going to be four betting a ton from under the gun anyway. Uh, if you did three bet with their stack size, I think that there could be an adjustment made as far as your three bet sizing. Like I think you could actually go smaller than normal. Yeah. Um, instead of like a full three x, you know, you could like two point five. Yeah. Um, here.
2: Yeah, we still threaten stacks with a smaller three bet because he's starting shorter.
1: Right. We we still threaten stacks. Um, they're going to call either way. Uh, there there is the potential downside of, of opening the action by 3-betting. So, keeping the action closed by flatting, I think can't go wrong.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And uh, just to, like,
2: clarify, like, the types of mistakes that I, like, it's uh, that I was, like, referencing by when I said, like, fish make big mistakes post-flop is, like, it's not hard to, like, 4-bet aces, ace-king. Like, it's, it's like, it's, I don't know, it's pretty easy, I guess, to, to play well pre-flop, but then they can just make massive mistakes where like they just stack off with you know aces on seven eight nine monotone or something like that, or I don't know, just put like way too much money in post flop on on boards where you know over pairs look like really strong hands or or you know top pair looks like a really strong hand, but it's actually well, not a hand that you should be excited about stacking off with
1: as somebody who's like really deep in another pre flop project right now, I would say that you would think that it wouldn't be super difficult to make significant mistakes pre-flop, but, but uh, it, it is not super difficult. Um, okay. e- even, even amongst like, um, the wolves, we, we see a lot of pre-flop mistakes in aggregate after, you know, 50 or hundred K hands. So like, yeah, pre-flop, pre-flop is just trickier than I think most people, most people expect, but anyway, that's a, just a tangent for a different day, yeah. um, for here. Yeah. Just flatting, um, you, The blinds fold, so heads up flop. You're in position as a preflop caller in this two-bet pot. There's 65 in the middle. Flop is nine of hearts, six of clubs, deuce of diamonds. So you're like 60% of the way to a straight flush. Congratulations. Villain starts out with a half-pot bet. And I just can't imagine you doing anything other than calling here.
2: Yeah, um, just going to be calling probably just happily calling anything that's like half pot or smaller. Um, yeah. I know for us, like this is just a super standard spot to call. I think maybe some of the listeners and like definitely myself, like years ago would have not years ago, but like yeah, a year and uh, a half ago, let's Maybe not
1: give yourself too much credit here. I was, I was going to say like <laughs> a year ago.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was just like way over folding to flop C, I think, and like, these were the sorts of hands I think in position, maybe this one, it's easier to like see the call, but um, I just like was not calling with like two overs often enough, getting like a good price. Um, I think one of the things that like really opened my eyes to that was like seeing your fold to flop c bet percentage, and it was like I don't know. <laughs> In my mind, it was like something obscene at the time. It was like fourteen percent or something. I was like, what? Like, how, <laughs> how can you only fold the flop like 15 percent of the time and like be winning? Um, but what I realized was like I just had to massively recalibrate like
1: how I should be dealing with flop c bets. Yeah, I mean, basically, like having just six overcards is like, you know, close to 25% equity, and you need yeah. 25% equity to continue facing a half pot C bet. So, like, yeah. the situation just kind of, you know, make, makes a lot of sense. And then uh, once you do realize equity, then, you know, you can do other things. You know, you can bluff, you have bluff potential, you, you can um, value bet, like, lots of good things can happen. So, mm-hmm. Here, yeah. Good things happen. Good things happen. You turn a five of hearts. So you have a flush draw, which this is the John special. Now, somehow all the money's going to go in. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how, but... He jams uh, and I call.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: They have 554. There's 125 in the pot, 5X, 5X rip. Um, They've had half pot again. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Reliable now, old fish. Yeah, re- reliable bet sizing. Um, I think that there's a number of ways you could go here. I wouldn't actually mind like a small raise on the turn and then a river jam,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like a click. Yeah. Um, I think that raising the river could get a little dicey if you call and they bet half pot on the river. They're going to be betting like 120 Um. So, you know, you definitely want to be able to put the last bet in. Raising the turn, again, reopens the action. Although, you know, I, I don't think that they have a high concentration of really strong hands that just want to rip after betting half pot, half pot. I, I know they have some, but probably not a ton. So I wouldn't be super worried about reopening the action here on the turn.
2: Right. Like um, if they have seven, eight, they're just betting close to the
1: pot here more likely than yeah. They, they tend any to just other size.. S- Size up, right? Like with with the strength of their hand. So, you know, Mm -hmm. um, even with aces, I would expect them to bet bigger either on the flop or on the turn. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, whether you raise small here or call, I I think it's kind of your choice. My preference is probably just to raise the turn and and jam the river, though. Interesting. Yeah. I I did not raise
2: the turn. I think I was probably overly concerned with reopening the action and getting jammed on and, you know, having to call it off. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <What's that> <laughs> <one>? <laughs> I'm just kidding having to fold a flush draw <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, on the turn uh, so yeah I, I, I think like I, I probably could have done a better job of like reading into the bet sizing like you just did and just been like yeah I'm probably never getting or like very very rarely getting bet three bet here so I should just raise like get two opportunities to realize hold equity um and yeah and just, just jam the jam the river but I was too scared
1: of getting bet three bet on the turn yeah which is really, you know, that, that's the variable that needs to be considered, is like how often if I open the action here, does the villain bet three bet? Do I have any data points suggesting that they're less likely to or more likely to leading up to this point? Right. Um, so you opt for the call and you get a four-liner on the river. Deuce tray, five, six, nine is your final board. All oh, The flush draw missed. John has Jack ten of hearts, which is a big pile of nothing. Um, villain has five hundred behind. There's two forty-five in the pot. Mercifully, the villain checked. If the villain bet, you're you're just done, right? Like you. I think it depends f- on size play. again, though. Like I, my plan
2: on the turn was to call turn, and very likely just jam river over a bet or bet river versus check. So I think like again half pot or less, I probably would have just jammed the river.
1: All right. Well, at least you're going to take the one opportunity to go and ahead and <laughs> realize fold equity. Yeah. yeah. They checked. You stick it in. 2x facing their check. I, I would imagine this is going to be a very profitable bet, especially once villain checks on the four-liner. They probably don't have a ton of straights, and given their flop and turn sizings, probably don't have a turn a ton of like sets or two pairs. So, yeah. Any... uh. Any
2: thoughts about sizing on the river? Like, I, so you know how you said like, oh, this is going to be like a very profitable bet. I agree. Like, I think this spot is just so profitable to bluff that I was like, man, do I even need to jam
1: here? Um, I would say that whatever bet size you pick is likely to make money. Yeah, it just depends on like which one makes the most. I'm not sure. You know, if you bet pot, that needs to work more than fifty percent of the time. If you Jam that needs to work more than sixty six percent. Now it does jamming, fold out uh, additional hands that might call versus pot. So if they have a hand like top pair ace nine, um, will they call a pot size bet um, at any different frequency than two x? Like I'm actually not sure, Um, but you know, better safe than sorry.
2: Yeah, I thought that was me too. I I wasn't even like I was. I was thinking like, yeah, maybe nine X does fold. That's a good point. Like, it's just it's a tough spot to just call it off with nine X on the four liner. Um, but yeah, I, I was like thinking like, if I went smaller sizes, like oh man, I might just get picked off by like sevens or eights even. Um,
1: just yeah, ish, I mean just
2: clicking call randomly
1: on the river. Yeah, like that. That's how poker works, right? Like you size up and try to fold out more hands as you scale up with yeah. you know risking more money let's see let's see what they did fold here though boom you crushed them (laughs) they had you're right about the sizings
2: on the flop and the turn though about just this not being a hand that would be happy to put all the money in or bet three about the turn just based on their sizing yeah
1: yep and there we have it you you folded out the ace king high thank god they didn't like three-fourths the river or something you'd have been That (laughs) would not not been good for us yeah all I, right. I did in
2: three bet pre. <laughs>
1: yeah, great thing you did <laughs> in three bet pre. Uh, well, maybe who knows? Like, it's not a given that that fish always four bet ace king. So that's true. That's true. It, it's hard to know. Yeah. Um, all right, so that hand actually took a lot longer than I thought it would. We're too, at yeah. the 14 minute mark. Uh, stick around after the break, John. is going to play a much bigger pot after flatting on the button. So we'll see you in a couple minutes.
0: The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now.
3: John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop camp.
4: Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do had impressed me. I love the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable, but I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away.
3: And what about bootcamp blew you away?
4: Like it started off slow, like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, and all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that, and that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general.
3: Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience?
4: The most interesting thing about the boot camp—it's a pre-flop boot camp—but I feel like it's done as much for my post-game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back
3: end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's
4: crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp Because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you.
3: If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop camp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp.
1: All right. Welcome back from the break here on Tactical Tuesday, where... John does some button flatting. John, you want to dive directly into this second hand? Yeah, I'm going to just play the
2: action until it gets to me and then I can talk about why I flatted. So, the cutoff here um, is pretty big fish. He, well, I guess we can already tell. It's hard to tell from his stack size because he starts with over 100 big blinds, but um, under the gun opens $23 and he flats the cutoff. That's already starting to become an indicator that he's probably not super strong player. Um
0: <laughs>
2: I I follow along in like the same fashion that makes me seem like not a super strong player and just flat behind with the ace 5 of hearts. Um I think this would probably be just most of the time would be a 3 bet facing like a normal, you know, open configuration preflop. Um I think what I was thinking in this spot is that if I 3 bet, what's going to happen a lot of the time is that I'm either getting a 4 bet or called by um under the gun. And a decent amount of the time, the fish in the cutoff is, um, is going to fold. And so basically, I'm isolating like a super strong range, basically like an under the gun reg RFI range. Um, sometimes I'm going to get four bet and be forced to fold. Um, and basically, like, I'm just doing whatever I can to make sure that I get to play a pot in position um, versus the fish in the cutoff.
1: Yeah, I'm down. Like, I think it's good. Um, also, the under the gun player just is out of position uh for every street post flop which is nice um and by three betting and reopening the action we give them an opportunity to kind of you know neutralize their natural positional disadvantage post-flop so yeah flatting letting mr fish into the party always a fun plan in my book Uh, so the blinds fold now we take a flop three ways there's 84 in the pot Um, The flop is Trey for seven with two diamonds. So you've got a sneaky little double gut shot here with your ace five of hearts. There's no heart Mm -hmm. on the flop. Uh, And 84 in the pot. John's covered by both players, but everybody's got around 100 bigs. Uh, They check to you, and you decide to start out by betting a quarter. Yep. I think uh, the reg, we open under the gun, check the flop. Uh, I expect them to be
2: checking range, especially on seven four three um two tone facing two callers mm-hmm. um so wouldn't it wouldn't be shocked to get check raised by under the gun um, maybe under the gun doesn't even check raise that much though on 743 given that like you know one or either of the players behind him could have straights his overpairs are you know could could just be like drawing dead on the board so maybe he just plays his overpair slightly more passively um and maybe I shouldn't be expecting check raises uh, as frequently but in any case it, it I didn't really care cuz I have a double gutter so <laughs> check raise me dude
1: yeah, <laughs> with an overcard, too. So yeah. let, let, let's roll. I think yeah. you're right, though. I don't think you get check-raised a ton on this board. You've got sets, you've got straights, and like aces just probably doesn't feel great check-raising. Right. Um, And also, yeah, they don't really know what the fish is going to do either. Here. <clears> uh, <throat> so Under the Gun decides to call, and the cutoff decides to call. So we take our family pot onto the turn. That is... A six of hearts, which, as Larry David would say, is a, a pretty, a pretty, pretty good turn card. Um, there's 163 in the pot. The board is tray467. Um, so here, UTG checks again, which is like the uh, least unexpected thing on the planet. <laughs> I can't, can't imagine them doing anything other than checking. Um, and now. On the four-liner, you decide to bet pot. Yes. Tell me about this pot-sized bet. So um, I think on the
2: turn, my betting range is going to be extremely polar. I'm probably not betting anything for value that's not a straight. Um, I think I would just check back sets multi-way once the four-liner gets her on the turn. So basically what I'm saying on the turn is that I have straights and... Some other bluffs, diamonds are super obvious. You know, maybe I just start stabbing the flop with a hand like eight nine, um, and continue barreling on the turn. But basically, my range is extremely polar on the turn, and uh, that's what this size is about. I think I could have gone bigger,
1: honestly. Yeah, I mean, you're setting up like a two x jam versus the anybody <laughs> versus the cutoff. Yeah. So I mean, you could, but I don't really mind like going pot then over betting river, which is. I assume you're playing here <laughs> any
2: other sizes you think i should be considering on the turn
1: i mean 1.5 yeah okay so no smaller size basically. i can't imagine a smaller size yeah. like outperforming a big size with the cutoff in the mix like, yeah. as you said we we just want to target them um the river is a 10 of clubs so final board is tray four six seven ten there's no flush possible uh eight nine makes a straight, but feels pretty unlikely. Um, Our villain in the cutoff has 866 behind. The pot is 481. They check. You've got about 800. I'm assuming, as I mentioned on the turn, that you got one size here, which is Mm -hmm. all the marbles. Um, So you wager 791 marbles on the river. Villain matches your wager. Did they tank? Did they snap? No, he, he called so fast that I thought we were just chopping. I was like, oh, man. Man, not, not worried about like the 8-9 at all. Just this guy. This is how you, know, <laughs> how you know you live the pure life. You're like, well, at worst, I'm chopping. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good river. That's a pretty good river. They, they called with uh, top set. So they rivered a set of tens. Um, they did not three bet pre with their tens. And going back to hand number one about pre flop mistakes, this is a pre flop mistake, flatting in the cutoff with the tens versus UTG open and led to a pretty catastrophic outcome, I would imagine, for the cutoff here. They just, if they three bet, then they play heads up pot versus UTG, but instead you snuck in the mix and kind of wrecked them.
2: Yeah, I thought, um, I don't know if you want to go back a couple clicks and just see what UTG folded. I thought, <laughs> this is like definitely a tangent, but how UTG played the hand I
1: thought was also uh, fairly interesting. Oh, wow. And you just folded the nut flush draw on the turn? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I, as I've mentioned to you uh, privately before, and you can never fully wrap your head around it, people actually do fold flush draws on the turn um to big bets yeah that was you <laughs> didn't even check raise the flop. Uh, what do you think about not check
2: raising the flop with his hand
1: i think that they have a range and their range just doesn't want to check raise the flop so they check called and playing everything is a check call i mean it, it can't be
2: yeah kind of sucks to get jammed be on bad. with his hand which is <laughs> bizarre to say if you check raise ace deuce on the flop and let's say i just
1: he just has he just has, has a has a range on a board multi way that doesn't want to have any check raises so like calling yeah. is just the best path. Um, oh. I'm actually down with the way they played the entire hand. I think they played it well.
2: Yeah, tough. Tough to do anything versus pot on the turn on the four liner, I guess. Especially when you're out of position.
1: Yeah, I mean you, you have like your straight draws pretty, pretty crappy draw at this point, you know, Right. right. <laughs> yeah. you, you make a straight and you have a board straight. So <laughs> not, not the greatest of, uh, of draws there on the turn. Um, plus it's like, not, it, it's not exactly, um, hard to see when the flush completes, like a five is probably just not going to be betting the river. Yeah. So That's, your implieds are really low. Yeah. You have low implied odds. Um, so Well-played hands, sir. Flatting the button worked out quite well in both situations. And I think your logic was pretty much on point. So well done. We have two Ws in the column for John in this week's episode of Tactical Tuesday. And uh, I think that's all I have for this episode.
2: Nice. Good episode. See you next
0: week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.